If you have followed along with us at all over the past month or so, we've been in a series called All I Want for Christmas. And if we were to make a list of all the things we wanted for Christmas, I'm sure we could come up with quite a good list of things. Um, but this is kind of went a, a different direction than just a, a list of presents or things like that. As we went through All I Want for Christmas, we, we talked about the spirit of wonder, the thrill of hope, the simplicity of trust, and the fruits of humility. And we talked through these things, and if you notice, if you looked at a calendar, today is after Christmas. Hopefully you all were able to celebrate Christmas already. Um, if not, that, that's okay as well. But uh, today is, is past Christmas. And so what we're going to do is still kind of continue this series, All I Want for Christmas, but go a bit of a different direction. And instead of being All I Want for Christmas, we're going to call it All I Wanted for Christmas. So I need a little bit of crowd participation. And just by a show of hands, who received everything that you wanted for Christmas? Who got everything you wanted for Christmas? Okay, we got a few hands. Okay, there's a lot of hands not up, so that's good. Um, you know, I experienced that this year as well. You know those car commercials where it's Christmas morning and you wake up and there's a brand new car outside in your driveway? Okay, where's my car? Like, it didn't happen. Like, I mean, my, my wife's here is like, hey, where's, where's my car at? You know, where's my $50,000 truck? Um, and, and so, you know, a little disappointed, but realistically not actually disappointed. Um, but today we're, we're going to talk about really th this tension of disappointment and how to deal with disappointment where we wanted something or we expected something and we didn't get it or it happened very differently than what we had anticipated. And so before we start this journey, though, we're going to watch just a short clip from a classic Christmas movie, A Christmas Story. My God, would you look at that mess? Mm -hmm. Who's going to clean the papers up? Not me. Oh, no. no. Randy did it last year. Well, he can do it again. Mm. You know, this wine's not bad. It's not good either, but he wants it. Yeah. No, you don't. Oh. Did you nice Christmas? Yeah, pretty nice. Yeah, did you get everything you wanted? Mm, almost. <laughs> almost, huh? Well, that's, that's, that's life. Well, it's always next Christmas. All right. So if you know this story at all, you know Ralphie wanted what for Christmas? A Red Ryder BB gun, yes. And he was so excited about it. He was so passionate about it. He desperately wanted this BB gun. He told Santa about it. He wrote a paper about it. He had dreams about it. He told his parents about it. But everyone had the same response. You'll shoot your eye out. Sure enough, he got the BB gun and he did some damage to his eye. But hey, that's a whole other story. What if Right, he got the BB gun. If you don't know the story, spoiler alert, like years and years and years have passed since this movie's been out. So if you've not seen it yet, I apologize, but he did get the BB gun. But what if the story ended here? What if this clip was actually the end of the story of his Christmas? Everything had been opened and he had no BB gun. You can see the disappointment in his face. He's sitting there between his parents. His little brother's like passed out on the presents that they've already opened. And you can see like he's... He's trying to be thankful. He's trying to be grateful for what his parents have gotten him. His dad says, hey, did you get everything you wanted? Yeah, almost. You ever been there where like you almost get what you wanted? You, you, it's almost the right thing. It's like almost the right size, almost the right color, almost the, like it's, it's close, but ah, not quite. 
And that's kind of where he's at. And, and his dad says, oh, yeah, well, ah, that's kind of life. Yeah, almost. Maybe next Christmas. And he, he's disappointed. Now his dad comes through, gets him to be begun and all that. We already know that. Um, but he, what, if, what if this was the end of the story where Ralphie so desperately wanted something that he did not get? He wanted it so bad. What if he did not receive it? And so we're going to talk about this disappointment. And, and maybe you know that feeling. Maybe you have not gotten something that you so desperately wanted. It, it, could, be, uh, it could be a Christmas present. It could be something that, that you put on your list that, that you really wanted. Like if there's, if there's one thing you could have, like this was the one that you wanted, and you didn't get it. Or it could be maybe uh, a parent promised something and, and a parent let you down, or, or a relative or a loved one let you down, and it, there was an expectation there and it was unmet. Or maybe you're at work and, and you have been working hard and you've been working overtime. You go in early and you stay late and you've been working hard, you've been working, 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 and you expect some type of promotion or a raise or a bonus or something like that, just some kind of recognition that somebody sees what you're doing and somebody else gets the promotion. And it's not fair. You've been putting in all this work. You expected something to happen. You, you wanted it. You worked for it. And it didn't happen. And what do we do in those moments of disappointment? Or maybe it's even just you want somebody to notice you. You want a, a loved one to, to see you, to give you the time of day, to, to even like give you some kind of recognition that, that you exist. Whatever the disappointment might be, wherever you are today, all of us have, have experienced some level of disappointment. It could be a, a simple little piece of disappointment like, oh, I didn't get my BB gun, or, or whatever it might be, or it could be much more deep than that. But all of us have a story. Maybe you're in, in your 30s, and, and you are unmarried, and you're wondering, hey, what's going on? Where, where is this person that I've been promised? Where is that the one? Where, where is my spouse at? Is there something wrong with me? You begin to question and doubt and have all these, like, like God, where is this person? Like, I'm trying to be faithful, but, but where is this person? Are they even out there? Is something wrong with me? What's going on? Or maybe you're in your 40s and you're married and you have kids and you look around and you're like, man, why? Why, why did I get married? Why did I have these kids? This isn't the life that I wanted. This isn't the life that I expected. This isn't how I thought things were going to turn out. Or maybe you're a little bit older. Maybe you're in your 50s or 60s or 70s and, and you've been successful through life. You can say, hey, yeah, my, my kids go to church and uh, I go to church and I, I try to follow God and I try to read my Bible and I, I try to do all these things and, and I've been successful in business and we have like a nice home and, and all these kinds of things. And on the outside, Things look successful. Things look like they're put together. But on the inside, you know, man, everything's just kind of a mess. It looks good on the outside, but you got a lot of disappointment on the inside. Maybe you're here and, and you can't have kids. And you so desperately want to have children. You want to have your children, but you can't for some reason. And you begin to wrestle with those feelings of, hey, these people sometimes that don't even want children can't stop having children, and I want children, and I can't have any. What's wrong? What's, God, where are you in this? We begin to have these questions and these doubts. It's not fair. Disappointments, unmet expectations. Maybe you prayed to God, and, and you, you prayed to him, and, and his answer was no, or not yet. 
But in that, in that midst of the, the no or the not yet, you're wondering, God, are, are you even there? Did you, did you hear this? Like, I, I've been reading my Bible. I've been going to church. I've been praying. I, I've been doing all these things that I'm supposed to do, but you, you, you've not answered my prayer. Like, what, what's going on here? Why have you not answered? Are you even there? Do you even hear me? Do you even care? And we begin to wonder. We begin to have these doubts and these questions and these concerns, this disappointment. So our story, our, our family story, is that uh, we wanted to expand our family. If you have not had a chance yet to meet our daughter, Aaliyah Joy, um, she is two years old, and man, she lives up to that middle name, Aaliyah Joy. Uh, she will bring a smile to your face. She is so awesome. Um, you'll probably see her trotting around a little bit uh, after the service even, and my goodness, like you see her, and it just like puts a smile on your face. You're like, man, she is so cute. Like, no offense to anyone else, but she is the cutest kid here. Like, I just, she just is, okay? I don't mean any offense by it, and I, I, I'm not biased at all, but she's just so adorable. Um, and so we're so excited for her to become an older sister. And so we, we wanted to expand our family. And so this summer we, we ended up getting pregnant and, uh, and it, something was wrong though. Like we got pregnant, we were so excited and, and we, were, we were ready for it. But, but something was just like a little bit off. And, and from day one we kind of knew, hey, something is not going right here. Something's not progressing. The numbers that were supposed to be doubling weren't doubling, and some other things were going on, and, and the blood came back, like, not positive, and, and some of those kinds of things. And so um, we ended up actually miscarrying uh, this child, and, and the baby didn't grow beyond about five weeks and five days. And so there we are. We're like, we want to expand our family. We're ready for it. We think our daughter's ready for it. Our family's ready for it. And it's not happening. And we have this expectation that is unmet, this disappointment that, hey, we, we were in the process, like we were pregnant, but no more. And wrestling through that, and, and so we had to work through that and, and pray through that and, and deal with our faith through that and our relationship with God through that as a family. And then towards the end of September, we got pregnant again. And it was like, yes, this is it. This is the answer to our prayer. This is exactly what we were looking for. Like, we're so excited. We're so ready. It was a healthy pregnancy. We, we you know, got to 12 weeks and, and we like saw the ultrasound and we, we heard the heartbeat. And like if you've ever been able to see an ultrasound, like you're, you're in the room and you see it, like there are few things that, that rival that. Like it's miraculous. It's such an amazing thing. It's so cool to see. And so we start telling people, we start sharing, hey, we're pregnant and, and people are so excited and we're so excited. And like, the day after we shared with a whole bunch of people, on a Monday evening at, at 10.30 p.m., 12 weeks pregnant, my wife goes into labor. And through the night, we end up losing the baby. And in those moments, you're wondering, where's God at? Why is this happening? Why this? Why now? Why again? And I found myself that, that Tuesday, the, the day after really, or the day that it happened, and wrestling through these questions, these questions that you may not get an answer to. And as I wrestled through these questions, this passage hit my heart. And uh, it, it's a passage that really, if somebody's struggling with something um, and, and they're in pain over something, do not share this verse with them. 
Okay, I'll just forewarn you, like this is not something that will counsel well somebody in, like just as they're beginning their pain, maybe a little bit on into the journey, but don't share this with them right away. So the Lord shares it with me right away, um, and it's, it's a, a passage I couldn't get out of my head. It's one that I, I hated as I, like even as it came into my head, I was like, no, like I don't, I don't want that one. Give me a different one. Um, and, and so I couldn't get away from it. And it comes from Job chapter 1, verses 20 through 22. And it'll be on the screen for you so you can see it. At this, Job got up. He tore his robe and he shaved his head. He fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Another translation says in verse 22, it says, Throughout all this, Job did not sin or blame God for anything. So you're wondering, hey, what's Job's situation? Okay, so he tore his robe, he shaved his head, and he worshiped God. Here's what Job found. Here's here's what happened in his life. So here Job is. He's one of the most righteous men on the earth. Like the entire face of the earth, Job is the most righteous, one of the most righteous men. And here is what happens to him as he is faithfully following God, faithfully leading his family well. Here is what happens to Job. He finds out all in the same day, all in the same moment, he finds out first that all of his oxen and all of his donkeys have been taken and all the servants that were tending those oxen and those donkeys have been killed except for the one messenger who escaped to tell Job. And while that messenger is still telling Job about losing all of his oxen and his donkeys and his servants, another servant comes up and says, hey, Job, by the way, all of your sheep and all your servants tending the sheep have been destroyed by fire, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And while that one is still telling him, another servant comes in and says, all of your camels have been stolen, and all of your servants that were tending those camels have been killed, except for me, who alone came to deliver this message. And while that messenger was still delivering those news, another messenger came and said, literally, all of your sons and all of your daughters who are eating dinner in their oldest brother's house, all of them have been killed because the house collapsed on them. That's a rough day, to put it lightly. You find out literally all of your physical possessions and all of your children are dead and gone and lost. And what happens in the very next breath? Job mourns his loss. He tears his robe. He's upset. He's angry. He doesn't understand. He doesn't get it. He's disappointed. Everything that he thought was true is now being challenged and questioned. And he's wondering, what in the world is going on? And what does he do? Again, he he tears his robe. He shaves his head. And he falls to the ground in worship. And here's what he says. He says, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. How can Job say this with conviction, but also not sin in blaming God? Because Job understands something that is absolutely vital for us to understand. Job understands that Everything that he has or had was temporary. He was a steward of something that God had gifted to him. 
He understood that as much as he liked to exercise control over his domain, over his oxen and camels and donkeys and, and sheep and, and children and, and household, there was somebody else who was in charge over him. He understood that God is sovereign. He understood that Job's plan might be different than God's plan, and God's plan is always better. Job understood something that is so vital for us to understand that we like to know things. We like to have things figured out. We like to be in control. We like to have a plan. We like to know how things are going to be moving forward. We like to know the why, the reason behind different things. We like to know these things, and yet God tells us that you don't have to know everything, because I do. And you don't always have to be in control, because I am. And Job understands that, and he, he, he's able to communicate it in such a way, hey, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, and may the name of the Lord be praised. The, the truth is, like, hey, I don't understand this. Everything I have is given from God, so God can take it away, sure. Like, but God's name is going to be blessed either way. Whatever happens, whatever circumstance, good or bad, I'm going to praise the name of the Lord. I'm going to worship him. His name will be praised. And I'm just recognizing, I'm not blaming God, I'm recognizing that he is in control and his plan is different than my plan. And sometimes my plan and his plan come to a head and I have to decide which one I'm going to follow, which one I'm going to listen to. I know which one's better. But we have to release that control, submit ourselves to God and follow him. So as we're wrestling through this disappointment as a, as a family, there was this, this phrase that, that came into my head um, while I was driving one day, and, and I had Connie write it down for me. And, uh, and that phrase, I think, will, will help us as we kind of navigate this territory together. And that phrase is, disappointment will take you to a place that you did not want to go in order to teach you something about God that you absolutely needed to know. Again, disappointment will take you to a place you, you did not want to go. You wouldn't have chosen it for yourself. You wouldn't choose it for somebody else. It'll take you to a place you didn't want to go so you can learn something about God that you absolutely needed to know. We're in a space right now that, that we didn't want to go. We didn't choose to go. We didn't want to be here. But I can tell you with confidence that, that we are learning things about God that we have never understood before. That maybe we intellectually knew that the Bible told us these things are true but experientially, we had not experienced yet. And now we're here. We're experiencing God's provision. We're experiencing God's care and love and nearness to the brokenhearted. We're able to experience this in a way that we never would have before. So as we talk about dealing with disappointment this morning, there are two different ways that we can go. There are two different ways that we can deal with disappointment. You'll notice in your handout or, or whatever you have, the, the blanks there, there's a column on one side with three blanks and a column on the other side with three blanks. And these are our two different ways to deal with disappointment. The first way is really the passive way. It's the easy way out. It's the allowing disappointment to do something in your life. Okay, that's the, the one column is allowing it, kind of passively allowing disappointment to do something to you. The second column is intentionally choosing to respond in a certain way. So we have the passive response, just not really just allowing things to happen, allowing disappointment to do something to us, or intentionally choosing to act in a certain way. Before we jump into all of these blanks, I want to share if, 
If you are here this morning and you're like getting ready to tune out, or maybe you already have tuned out, just tune back in just for a minute, okay? I can tell you, maybe a couple of years ago, if I had started listening to this sermon, I would have tuned out as well. Because I hadn't experienced this kind of disappointment before. So I just want to challenge you and just say, hey, you can tune out for all of the message, but just write down the main points. Write down the main points, circle the verses, maybe underline them or highlight them in your Bible app. Whatever, just like hold on to this. Okay, because I can almost guarantee that if you've not experienced disappointment in some way in life, I'm sorry, but it's coming. If you've not experienced it yet, you will, because we live in a fallen world, which is why we also need Jesus. So hold on to this. Make sure you write down the blanks. If, if somebody, like, if you notice, like, your neighbor's kind of tapping out a little bit, just, like, remind them, hey, there's another point on the screen, and write this down, okay? And hold on to it. Don't, don't just totally blank out on me, all right? So our two different ways. The first way that we could respond to disappointment is we can allow it to distract us from God's plan. We can allow it to distract us from God's plan. Disappointment very quickly can distract us. We begin to, to have these questions, to have these, these wonderings, to, to ask those why questions that can lead us to a place that, that maybe we shouldn't go sometimes because the why questions are so difficult to have answers to and we may not get the answer. We can allow it to distract us from God's plan. I think sometimes if we're honest with ourselves, our expectations of the way that God responds and the way that God acts in our lives is very different than what the Bible says. Our expectations of how God should respond, how God should bless us, how God should reward us for our good deeds and our church attendance and our Bible reading plans sometimes does not line up with what the Bible says. Because we see Job is one of the most righteous men on the earth at this time and certainly bad things happened to a righteous man. And how do we reconcile that tension? We could allow it to distract us. We can allow it um, to rule over our, our mood and our thoughts and distract us from God's plan, recognizing that, hey, God's plan is usually different than our plan because we don't always understand things the way that God does. Most often we don't understand the way that God does. And his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so if we're going to understand this, we need to not, just, we need to not allow it to distract us from God's plan, but we need to intentionally choose to direct our gaze to God's promise. That's the next blank there is intentionally choose to direct our gaze to God's promise. Direct your gaze to God's promise. God isn't surprised by our disappointment. God didn't find himself there Monday night wondering like, oh my, oh my goodness, what, what is happening here? I have no idea. How did, the, how did this happen? What's going on? God's not surprised. It, it didn't take him off guard. He very much knows. He very much is in control. He very much is sovereign. And so when we direct our gaze to the promises of God, we're remembering his nature and his character and how trustworthy he is. The book of Romans says this about the Holy Spirit. It says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. How true it is in our weakness, sometimes we don't know what to say. We don't know how to pray. We don't, we don't know what to do. And yet it says that for those who are believers in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And the Spirit of God literally intercedes for you on your behalf. The Spirit helps us 
in our weakness, when we are unable to pray, when we are uncertain of what to say or how to move forward, the Holy Spirit is in the throne room of God interceding on our behalf, helping us, praying for us. The next verse in verse 27 says this, and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit, here it is, the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Again, this is the will of God. The will of God for his spirit is to intercede on our behalf in our weakness. The will of God is for the Holy Spirit to intercede for us in our weakness. When we are unsure of what to do or how to move forward, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us because it's God's will, because it's God's plan, because it's God's purpose for the Holy Spirit to do that on our behalf when we don't know what to do or how to do it. Then verse 28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now this verse 28 can, can often be misquoted or misheard. So we are actually going to read this one more time, nice and slow. If you would look up on the screen with me and, and just follow along very clearly and slowly, we're going to read through this. Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. It doesn't say that all things are good. It doesn't say that God works good things for everyone who loves him. But it says, in all things, God works. In all things, God works for the good. It doesn't say they're good things. It doesn't say you're never going to be disappointed. It doesn't say that you're, you're never going to have struggle or heartache or whatever. It says in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. God works for his people doesn't mean everything's going to be good. We, we experience bad situations all the time. We experience disappointment and heartache all the time. It, it's a part of living in a fallen world. But God works in all things. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16 says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. This is who Jesus is. At Christmas time, we celebrate Emmanuel, God with us. This is the high priest that it's talking about, where this high priest actually empathizes with us in our weaknesses. He identifies, he understands what we're going through. Our high priest who sits at the right hand of the throne of God understands our pain and our weakness and our disappointment, and he is there empathizing with us. Verse 16, because of these things, because of verses 14 and 15, and what came before, because of these things, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. How can we approach God's throne with confidence when our legs get taken out from under us? When we aren't experiencing the things that, that we thought were going to happen? 
when life turned out very differently than what we expected, when we experienced disappointment? How do we do that? We approach it with confidence because Jesus empathizes with us in our weakness. He gets it. He understands it. He's there with us, walking through it with us. It doesn't mean he takes us out of our circumstance. Things with Job actually got worse after he praised God. They actually got worse after he turned around and worshipped God. The situation didn't improve, but his attitude towards it was much different. Hebrews 12, chapter, or chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And this is what disappointment becomes, right? It becomes that thing that, that hinders us from running with perseverance. It becomes this weight that just kind of like... You see people who are just kind of like have the weight of the world on their shoulders, kind of like you just feel some kind of like physical like weight on you in this disappointment. You can feel it weighing you down. It hinders us from running with perseverance the race marked out for us. We have to instead throw it off and then run with endurance. We have to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. This is how we do it, not because of anything that we can do on our own, but we fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So that's point number one. The other two are going to go a little faster. Okay, so here we go. Point number two, you could allow disappointment to discourage you from following God's word. You could allow discouragement, or sorry, you could allow disappointment to discourage you from following God's word. Sometimes when we're dealing with disappointment, it becomes so easy to blame God. So easy to, to cast this blame and, and ask the, the why God, right? That was very much my question of, of wondering, like, why in the world is this happening? What is going on here? We can easily blame God. It can discourage us from following his word, from actually spending time in prayer, because sometimes we can get to these points, and, and we're thinking like, well, hey, I have spent time praying. I have been trying to read my Bible more. I have been going to church, and this still happened? What's the use? Where are you at? I'm doing these things, and this still happened. Like, wh why should I keep doing it? Why should I keep reading my Bible? Why should I keep praying? It doesn't seem like you're really listening anyway. And we can find ourselves in this discouragement. So we could allow it to do that. Or we could choose to delight ourselves in the Lord. We could allow it to discourage us from following God's word. Or we could choose to delight ourselves in the Lord. Now, this is a very intentional choice. This is something that goes contrary to what we feel. Because when we're disappointed, when we're let down, when we're struggling, when we're in pain, when we don't understand what's going on, often the first thing on our mind and on our heart is not, oh, let me praise God for this. Although maybe we say it like that, kind of sarcastically, like, oh, thank you, Lord. But if we choose to delight ourselves in the Lord, it goes against sometimes our feelings. We, we know that our feelings can't be trusted. We know that our feelings are not always reliable. So why not put our trust in the one who always is reliable, who is our great high priest, who empathize with, empathizes with us in our weaknesses, who is Jesus, the Son of God. And I think when we are able to intentionally choose to delight ourselves in the Lord, I think that praise 
breaks the grip of disappointment. Praise breaks the grip of disappointment. Disappointment can latch onto you and cause you to become bitter and distance yourself from God, and it can discourage you from following God's word. It can distract you away from God's plan and God's promises, but praise changes it. Praise breaks the grip of disappointment. That's what Job did. Job worshiped God in his pain. Like immediately afterward, he mourned it, and then he worshiped God, and he praised the name of God. Psalm 37, 4 says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Again, delight yourself in the Lord. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart because your desires become his desires. His desires become your desires and things start to change when we delight ourselves in the Lord. Psalm 100, if you are dealing with disappointment right now, or maybe you have in the past, or maybe when you head into disappointment, I encourage you to take a Bible out or your Bible app or whatever it is, open to Psalm 100, and take a, a blank sheet of paper and a pen and just transcribe it. Just, just write out Psalm 100. Write it out. Think through the words. Pray through the words. Spend time in Psalm 100 because this has the power to break the grip of disappointment. Psalm 100, if you can pray this after a disappointing moment, after in, in, in the midst of your pain, this is incredible. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. This passage puts all of the focus on God. It takes our eyes off ourselves and puts the focus on God who is in control. If you're able to, to praise God, that, that verse 5, for the Lord is good, even when my circumstances aren't. For the Lord is good, even when I'm disappointed, even when I'm in pain. For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. And our last point, we could allow disappointment to distance us from God's presence. We could allow it to distance us from God's presence. When we're in the midst of disappointment, sometimes we wonder, hey God, where are you? Do you even hear me? Do you even care what's going on in my life right now? I'm praying and I, I don't hear anything. And then we start to make decisions kind of based on our feelings again. But, but we got to remember that our feelings can't be trusted. We could allow it to distance us from God's presence. Or we can make the intentional decision of choosing to draw near to God. To draw near to God. We come closer to God. Draw near to him. And I believe that, that proximity determines your perspective. Proximity determines your perspective. And what I mean by this is when you have a problem or you have a disappointment, whatever it is, if your focus is on that thing, it's all you can see, right? It's, a, it's the closest thing to your face. It's right up in front of you. It's the closest thing you can see. 
And when that's all you can see, it changes the way that you live. It changes the way that you speak. It, it, it colors your attitude and your emotions. It, it changes everything because that, that's all you can see is the problem in front of you. And so it changes your perspective on life. It changes your outlook. It changes your relationships. It changes your conversations. It changes the, the things that you choose to partake in. It, cho it changes all of that. If, if a problem is a thing right in front of your face, if that's the closest thing to you, then it's the biggest thing in your life. But again, proximity determines your perspective. And so if instead you draw near to the Lord and the Lord becomes the thing right in front of you, that you fix your eyes on Jesus, you're delighting yourself in the Lord, you're drawing near to God. If, if he's the biggest thing in front of you, God becomes very much more real and bigger than your problem. Because he is bigger than your problem, so now you have a right perspective because God is in front of your face. He's the closest thing to you. You're drawing near to him. And when God is drawing, like when, when God is, is the closest thing to you and you're drawing near to him, then it changes the way that you interact with your problems. You can praise in the midst of your pain. Disappointment doesn't own you. It doesn't distract you away. It doesn't discourage you. But instead, it very much becomes something that you intentionally choose to follow God. You intentionally choose to hold on to the faith that you profess. You intentionally choose to act in this way because God is right in front of you, because God is the biggest thing in front of your face, because you're drawing near to him. The book of James in chapter 4, verse 7 and 8 says this, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. There's a, a purity here, right? There, there's a, a righteousness quality here, a holiness quality here. Come near to God and he will come near to you. There's this promise here. Come near to God and he will come near to you. I get it though. I see this verse and the cynic in me says, okay, come near to God and he will come near to me. I've tried that and it feels like God is distant it still feels like he's not hearing me. It still feels like I've prayed and, and where's, where's the answer? Where is he? Does he hear me? Does he care? It says, come near to God and he will come near to you. This is a promise. But as we understand this promise, we also have to understand that God's timing is different than ours. And so when I expect God to respond, that doesn't mean that he's going to be like, oh, Ben demanded it, I'm going to do it. Mm, his plan's different than my plan. His timing's different than mine. And so when I expect God to show up, it doesn't mean it's going to happen on my calendar. It doesn't mean it's going to happen on my schedule, on my timing. God's going to do what God's going to do, and he's never been late. And so as we draw near to him, he will like, come near to God and he will come near to you. It may not happen immediately in your understanding of immediately. Because for God, it's only a moment. For you, it may take a week, it may take a month, it may take a year to feel that God has come near to you as you've come near to him. But don't give up. Don't grow weary in doing good. Persevere. Run with endurance the race marked out before you. Don't give up. God's timing is different than your timing. God's plan is often different than our plan. Sometimes we have to wait. You know, it's kind of the, the we have to crock pot it instead of microwave it, right? Sometimes we just gotta wait. Because God wants to do something in us. 
We need to learn. Disappointment will take us to a place that we didn't want to go in order for us to learn something about God that we absolutely needed to know. It's not something we would have chosen. It's not a, a place that we always want to go. But God's drawing us there so we can learn something about him to strengthen our faith, to deepen our reliance on him, our dependence on him, to draw us to our knees in prayer, to cry out to him, to understand him and his plan and his character and his nature and his promises. But it takes intentionality. It takes, it takes choosing to respond, not just allowing disappointment to dictate what you're going to do. And the truth is that, that none of us can, can really deal with this disappointment. We can't handle this on our own. We, we need the strength and the power of God. We need his power to do this. We, we can't do it on our own. I can't do this on my own. We need him. And truthfully, the only way that we can direct our gaze to God's promise, the only way we can delight ourselves in the Lord, and the only way that we can draw near to God is if we are a child of God. In John chapter 1, verse 12, it says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The question is, are you his child? That's step one. Before, before we can even talk about disappointment, before we can talk about dealing with this disappointment, are you a child of God? Because you can only deal with disappointment in this way if you are. Are you a child of God? The book of Romans tells us in chapter 10, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, with the mouth one professes and is saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Have you done that? Are, are you a child of God? Have you believed in Jesus? Have you professed that Jesus is Lord? Have you believed it in your heart and professed it with your mouth? If not, hey, why not today? Why not begin a relationship with God today? Why not confess your need for a Savior? Submit yourself to God. Recognize that He's in control and you're not, and you need a Savior. Repent of your sins and, and follow Him. It takes confession and belief in your heart. And it leads to a life of faithfulness, not a, a life of ease or comfort but it can lead to a life of, of joy in the midst of all that. If you've never done that before, if you've never become a child of God, if you don't know what that means, if, if what I said up here was like slightly confusing, you're like, this sounds crazy, whatever, I would love to talk to you afterwards. There are gonna be some people up here I think that would love to talk to you afterwards. Come find somebody on staff and, and just ask the question, hey, how can I become a child of God? What does, that, what does that mean? What does that look like? We'd love to talk to you. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for the example of Job. We thank you that, that you have given him in the word of God so that we can see what it looks like to deal with disappointment. God, disappointment is a very real reality in our lives. And so, Lord, as we seek to navigate how to deal with it, we, we pray that we would follow the example of Job, that, that we would properly mourn and properly grieve, but Lord, that we would worship you through it all, that we would understand that you are sovereign, you are in control, and Lord, our plan is different than your plan, but your plan is always 
better. God, help us to submit ourselves to you. Help us to follow your word, Lord. Help us to draw near to you, to delight in you, and to direct our gaze to you, Lord. In your name we pray, amen.